listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's scripture reading is Micah chapter 4, uh, verse 6, through chapter 5, verse 6. If you would please stand for the reading of scripture. Uh, This scripture reading is a little bit longer than we normally would uh, read on a Sunday morning, so if at any point uh, you'd be more comfortable sitting, please uh, don't hesitate to sit back down. Micah chapter 4, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now, many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze on Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Holly was a uh, typical Indiana native growing up. She loved basketball. Uh, She loved watching NCAA tournaments on TV, and uh, her dream was that one day maybe she would actually get to play in one of those championships. Uh, Holly practiced, worked hard, uh, was a standout on her high school basketball team in Greenwood. Uh, When she went to IUPUI, even as a freshman, uh, she really made a splash there, and by the time she got to her senior year, uh, she was considered one of the most valuable players in the league. Uh, and yet, at the same time, IUPUI had never even gotten to an NCAA tournament before. But they were in the league championship against Green Bay, the powerhouse, and uh, Holly and the Jaguars stepped up to the challenge. Uh, 
their, their defense came on. They ended up winning the game by 14 points. They win the championship of the Horizon League, and they're going to go to the NCAA tournament for the first time in IUPUI history. I mean, this was amazing, right? They did something no one else had ever done before. They made a dream come true. And then within 48 hours, it all evaporated because that was in March of this year, and the NCAA tournament was canceled. Two days after winning the Horizon League championship, her college career was done. Holly said, my classes were basically over. I had an internship left, which was also canceled. There was nothing. It just fizzled. I never got to pick up a basketball again. I never got to say goodbye to my teammates. There were no more practices, no more games. It was over. From the almost fulfillment of her dreams, the pinnacle of her college career, to saying goodbye to it all. Nobody's going to make a movie of that story, right? I mean, we love stories of unexpected outcomes and reversals, but it's usually more things like, uh, you know, the shy, mistreated stepdaughter becomes the princess. The water boy comes in off the sideline to score the winning goal. But sometimes a water boy comes off the sideline and misses the goal. Sometimes uh, the, the shy, plucky young woman goes to the dance and the prince falls in love with someone else. Sometimes uh, the, the lovable underdog turns out to be the guy who fooled everyone and he's actually the villain of the story. But here's the thing, in, in all of those experiences, the reversals that really impact us are when the story challenges our expectations. Like, we're, we're not really moved by a story when we can see what's coming. I wonder if that's the way Micah's hearers felt when he gave this message to them. Remember, Micah has pointed God's people to this glorious future that they can anticipate. And now he starts to fill in some of the details. Greatness is going to come from weakness. And uh, glory is going to come from you being shamed and kicked out of the homeland and displaced and rejected. That is not the message that we want to hear in the context of losses, threats, fear, and uncertainty. And I think we can relate to that, right? We've all lost something to COVID. We look at maybe the social upheaval that's going on in our society, and we wonder, what happened to all the rules? How did everything change? Or other people look at what's going on in the world around us and feel like nothing is changing. We've been fighting these same battles for decades. Is anything ever going to get better? We don't know what to expect or if we should expect anything. Here's the key idea from our message in Micah today. God does unexpected things for our good. God does unexpected things for our good. We could say God is good even in things we don't expect. And kids, you know what that's like? Your parents did the same thing for me. Our parents took us to the doctor's office and maybe the doctor's a nice man or a nice woman, but you don't know if you're gonna get a sticker or a shot in the arm. 
And yet we trust that our parents and the doctors are doing that for our good, to help us. God does things that surprise us, that we don't expect, but he's doing it for our good. Last week in Micah chapter 4, in the first five verses, we heard this wonderful promise of a day that's coming when God is going to rule and there's going to be justice and peace and no more hunger, no more sorrow, no more fear, no more poverty. And we come now to this passage starting in Micah 4 verse 6. And we want to quickly go through this passage to look at all the twists and turns and ups and downs, the unexpected things that God does to make this happen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Micah chapter 4. In the Old Testament, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, just after Jonah, Micah chapter 4. Okay, starting in verse 6, God says, in that day, remember in this glorious future day, I'm going to make a strong nation of the lame, the crippled, the weak, the outcasts, and the exiles. And you, Jerusalem, the the people of God, you who are too weak and and too corrupt to defend yourselves, you're going to become a tower. You're going to become a stronghold, kingship. There, There will be rulership from you. But you're not going to get there until you go through a lot of sorrow and pain, crying aloud, writhing, groaning, agony, because you've relied on your knowledge and your power, your wisdom. You're misled and you're weak. And in fact, in verse 11, I'm going to assemble pagan nations to actually punish you. But pagan nations, don't get too proud. Don't think that you're all that because eventually I'm going to raise up my people, Israel, to pay back what you've done to them. They're going to plunder you for the wealth that you've stolen, and it's going to end up being offerings to me. So those pagans that are assembled outside you, chapter 5, verse 1, there's a siege, but you're not going to survive it your rulers are going to be humiliated. But I am going to deliver you. I'm going to raise up this amazing anointed one, a ruler who will lead in glory and power. But the real power that you need is not going to come from Jerusalem. It's going to come from this little Bethlehem, Bethlehem that's so insignificant We have to specify it. It's Bethlehem in Ephrathah, not not the other Bethlehem in Zebulon or the other one in that other tribal land. It's it's this Bethlehem, sort of like saying, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Warsaw originally. Really? Yeah, Warsaw, Indiana. Like, no, 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 the the other Bethlehem, the the other one. Your deliverer is not going to come from the place of power and significance that you're looking for. And this deliverer is not going to rescue this, rescue from this crisis in verse 3. You're going to be given up to go into exile, and he's not going to rescue you until he gathers back together all of the exiles and all of the outcasts. But then he will shepherd the flock. And, and you know, we think of shepherds and fluffy lambs, and yet he's actually going to be a shepherd who will rule in power and glory and majesty to the ends of the earth. 
not just to Israel. He will bring peace. Oh, that's great news. That means when the Assyrian comes in our land, we're going to raise up shepherds and princes, and, and they're going to drive the Assyrians out. Nope, that doesn't happen either. You're still going to go into exile. The whole point of this, it's this whole roller coaster ride that God takes us on, is that he is always reversing our expectations for what we think is going to happen or what we think he is doing. God is turning upside down often our perception of what we think he is doing. When I was still working in the corporate world, I was uh, growing dissatisfied with the work. I had a hard time seeing myself staying in it, and, and I was praying and praying, God, do you, do you want me to stay here? Would you give me the opportunity to use my gifts and skills to serve you in ministry? And God opened up an opportunity to go work in a Christian ministry organization in Georgia. And Amelia and I prayed about it, and, and she just wasn't at a place where she felt like she was ready to make that move. So that was hard. We, we let that go, but I said, okay, we'll, we'll stick it out in this corporate job for a little bit longer. Six months comes around. They open up another position that's more senior in the organization. And Amelia says, okay, we'll, we'll really consider it. We'll pray through it. We go down and visit, and she says, okay, I could see us doing this. That's awesome. We're, we're fi God's finally going to answer this prayer. And we start looking at homes in, in Georgia, and we put our house on the market. And nobody's coming to look at our house. And we can't agree on a house to purchase in Georgia. And the timeline's getting near where this ministry needs an answer from us. And, and then at the last minute, God closes the door on us. They rescind the job offer. Because they'd gone through this financial crisis. And they said, sorry, all hiring is on freeze, and, and we can't actually bring you down here. Lord, what, what was that all about? We prayed. We trusted. It was obviously the answer to our prayers. And 25 years later, I still don't totally understand it. Maybe it was part of God's plan to ultimately take me to seminary and lead me to pastoral ministry, but... Surely God could have done that with a lot less confusion and disappointment than the way he actually did it. God often reverses our expectations for what we think he ought to do or what he's doing in our lives. And I think that's what Micah wants us to understand through all these ups and downs and twists and turns. You know, it's tempting for us to interpret people or events and assume that we know what God is doing, how he's using that person. We look at what's going on, and we often interpret it through what we want it to mean, and then we slap God's name on it, right? Like, uh, she's saying things we like, or he's producing the results we want, or surely God is at work in, in this movement, or, or this organization, or this person. Is Donald Trump God's blessing on America? God's curse on America? What about Obama? Is God at work in COVID? Is God at work in a massive explosion in Beirut that killed hundreds of people, wounded thousands, displaced a quarter of a million people in a country that was already dealing with economic struggles and political turmoil? God is always at work. But it's not often in ways that we understand or can 
maybe even accurately interpret, and that's kind of the point. God has a plan to establish his kingdom, but we are not always good judges of how he's going to do that and how he's working what's happening right now into that plan. So instead of trying to you know, look at what's going on and, and see if we can fit it into the way we think God is working or ought to be at work, maybe the better thing to do is focus on what we know for sure from God's word of his character and his purposes and what he values and trust that he is at work in our lives in ways that we may not understand. And that's important because one of the things that determines the way that we respond to events, to crises, to things happening around us is what we believe about how God's plans connect to our plans. You know, before we had kids, Amelia and I were an aunt and an uncle uh, to my brother's uh, daughter and son. We volunteered in the church nursery. We, we babysat for other couples. And out of that, we amassed an amazing deposit of wisdom and knowledge about how to raise kids. I mean, to the point that we wrote up a list of things that we would never do when we had kids, right? <laughs> yeah, they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I used to have no kids and several theories about parenting, and now I have several kids and no theories about parenting. It's not quite true, but man, were we convinced that we knew how to raise kids before we had kids. And then you walk in one day and some kid is finger painting the dog with peanut butter. And you wonder, how did this happen? Where did I lose control? That's kind of the point, right? It, it makes you really rethink how much control you actually have. Look back in Micah in chapter 4. In verse 11, the Assyrians are saying, you know, we're in control. We've got the power, and we're going to defile Zion. But they don't know the plans of the Lord. And yet the people in Judah aren't much different. I mean, I mean look at the end of this passage we looked at in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Oh, when the Assyrian comes in our land... We're going to raise up shepherds and princes, and, and we will drive them out and conquer Assyria. That did not happen. In, in chapter 5 and verse 1, Oh, muster your troops, daughter of troops, because siege is laid against us. No, that doesn't work. I mean, look back in, in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. God is asking his people, Why are you crying aloud? Don't you have a king? You have counselors, right? Where are they? Aren't they doing anything? See, that's kind of the point. We make plans. We look to our wisdom. We marshal our resources and creativity and connections. And then God graciously lets it all fall apart in our faces. We make plans and then we sort of, after the fact, kind of ask God to bless it. This crying and agony in chapter 4, verse 10, writhe and groan like a, like a woman in labor. That's a natural reaction to the losses. But I think Micah is pointing out what isn't happening here. He's focusing on what we often don't do in the crisis. They're, they're crying out because they haven't called on the king and the counselor in the first place. 
They haven't gone to their real king. They haven't gone to the real source of wisdom. Because we're often relying on our own wisdom and our own strength. And God reverses our self-confidence. God often reverses. God pulls our resources out from under us to give us a greater confidence in him. Because, see, our natural tendency is to look for what we can do, how we can figure things out, how we can make it work. And we don't often leave very much room for God to work or for God to show his glory because we've made it about us. Micah reminds us that God is in control. God is the sovereign who is working all these things out according to his plans. Nations don't ultimately determine the geopolitical map. God does. He's working through those nations. He's working through what we're doing. But he is the watchtower. He is the shepherd. He is the king. He is the one who is working out his will. And when we have confidence ultimately in God's plans, God's wisdom, that frees us in a good way. We, we acknowledge his control of events. We submit to his will. We walk in his ways so that our hearts are transformed and what we desire is what God desires. And then he starts to work that out through us. You know, Micah wants the people hearing this message to see what they're going through in light of the big picture. This setback that they're going through is actually part of God's plan. The pain that you're going through is not going to keep God from doing what he's trying to accomplish in your life or in this world. God wants his people to be confident that he knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense and when it goes against what we planned or thought or intended. And we need to hear that, especially when our plans fall apart and when life is hard, because it's natural then to despair. And maybe all of us right now want to know, is there, is there any hope of God's rescue, any hope of God's help for those who are suffering? Because, you know, that day that Micah talks about, that glorious future seems like a long, long way off in the middle of COVID and crisis and confusion Remember what Micah's talked about, the world that these people are living in. Business people are taking advantage of the little people. and Political leaders are serving themselves. And the, the religious, the spiritual, the cultural leaders are telling people pleasant lies to get themselves fed. And, and all of that suffering right in front of us speaks out loudly. How long, O oh Lord? How long is this world going to continue to be broken? How long is this pandemic going to go on? How long is injustice going to continue? And in a crisis where we feel overwhelmed with circumstances beyond our control, God wants to reverse that hopelessness. God steps in to reverse our hopelessness, to give us a real hope in him. Barry Corey is a president of Biola University out in California, and he recently shared this. Helpful reflections. This season is hard and uncertain, and nobody knows when or how it's going to end. Some are dealing with anxiety. 
Some have family members who are struggling with the virus, recovering from it. Some are mourning the death of loved ones. Some are dealing with financial crises. We feel constrained by where we can go or what we have to wear or who we can be around. And yet, by faith, God can help us see that those constraints are not a curse, but can actually be a blessing to us. A blessing. Paul writes in Romans that suffering brings about perseverance. Perseverance brings about character development, and character development produces hope. There is a path from suffering to hope, but it has way stations marked along the way called suffering and perseverance and character development. And we want to fast pass our way from suffering to hope, right? How do I jump from the suffering to the, to the good part? God says, no, there's, there's a process. There's steps that include perseverance and character development. And, and that's a, a hopeful promise for us, that as we're going through suffering, God is actually doing something. Even, even if we're not concerned for ourselves about COVID, for example, we are called to love our neighbors who may feel vulnerable, who may feel alone, who may feel scared. That's why we wear masks. That's why we distance. That's why we wash our hands. Even if we're not worried, we're around people who are, and that's how we persevere and grow in character, by loving our neighbors. COVID-19 doesn't take away our hope. Because the freedom to live the way we used to is not the foundation for our ultimate hope. We love our neighbors, we constrain ourselves, and see those as a gift to strengthen our faith and shape our discipleship to Jesus. See, that, that's what Micah is telling us, that hope involves waiting and hoping and trusting that the promise will come true so that we're growing in faith in the one who makes the promise. In the middle of things not going the way we want them to or they ought to. This world is not out of control even in bomb blasts, even in school years not going the way that they should, even in not knowing how long this is going to go on. The one who is in charge of all of that has the power to make good on his promises. God's plans succeed in the end, and he is at work here and now so that we are not discouraged. And we have a hope that has a real foundation to us. So that when we see small results or small size or our small part, we're not discouraged because God is at work even in those things. But all of this, all of this happens ultimately only in the coming of God's Son. Jerusalem is going to be conquered. The temple is going to be destroyed. And God regathers his people after the exile, but it's not regathering those exiles that lead the nations to streaming to the mountain of the Lord, to Zion, to find salvation. God enters the story in the person of his son, and he points to that earthly temple and says, no, destroy that temple, and I will rebuild it in three days, talking about his own body. 
saying there is a greater temple that is here. And God will actually accomplish his purposes by the destroying of this body, by my death, burial, and resurrection. God has brought about the beginning of the end. The last days began when Jesus died and rose to return to the Father. And they're going to be restored, fulfilled ultimately when Jesus returns again. Because he is the king and the shepherd that was to come from Bethlehem. He is the one that will rule over his people Israel, whose coming forth is from ancient days. And he will shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh. One day that will ultimately be fulfilled, but now, now we get to experience it. Have you come to trust Jesus as your shepherd king? That is the reversal that God wants everyone to find hope in, to find confidence in, to find purpose and rescue in. That's the great reversal that God has planned from ancient of days. Oh, trust in Jesus. Trust in him and find your hope in him. Take him as your shepherd king. Give him your sin and your failure and your fears. And know the hope and the life and the forgiveness that he has come to bring to all who will trust in him. Everyone who trusts in him will be saved and he will shepherd his people forever. He will be their peace. He will be your peace as you trust in him in everything that is happening now and everything that will happen, whether it looks like it makes sense or not. Jesus is ruling and reigning, and he will rule and reign in his people and in this world. What does God say to us in a season of weakness and discouragement where it feels like sometimes we're Sisyphus in that Greek myth, pushing a rock up a hill forever and it almost gets to the top and then it always rolls back down to the bottom. Only to do it over and over again. No traction, no flourishing, no movement. It just feels like we're stuck. Oh, hear the word of God's hope and encouragement. Because God can accomplish things even in the suffering, even in the trial even when it seems like you can't get any traction because he is at work to produce character and perseverance and hope, hope that does not disappoint because one day, one day, the glory that will be revealed in us will outweigh all, all of the suffering that's not even worthy to be compared to it. Our hope of glory is Jesus, being like him and seeing him. God is at work making that happen here, today, now. In times of trials and setbacks, take heart because our best days are always in front of us. In Christ, you are not has-beens. You are will-bees. That is our hope. That is our confidence. That is the great reversal that gives meaning to us and to all that God is doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this hope that we have in Jesus. We hear this word and we can see how easily we can trust in our own wisdom, our own strength, 
what we think will rescue us, what we think will bring us peace. Thank you that Jesus offers a better hope, a greater peace, a lasting foundation for our lives. God, help us. Help us to grow in trusting and walking with you. Thank you that you are always, always doing things that we don't expect for our good. Help us to see and believe and trust and walk with you through that. With joy, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.